When we think about the resilience of our organizations, we all think about the elephants in the room. But how much attention do we give to the elephants and the donkeys? The midterm elections are right around the corner. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 55 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by chairman and founder of the Washington, D.C.-based organization, the Hawthorne Group. John Ashford joins the program. John has provided senior counsel to clients in all 50 states and several countries, drawing from years of public affairs and communications experience. This week, John and I discuss the pushback that organizations could face when social responsibility turns to social advocacy. And we talk about the four P's that will likely impact the upcoming midterm elections and therefore could impact the resilience of corporate America. Hello, I'm Lisa Jones, co-founder of the Resilience Think Tank. In 2021, six professionals with a passion for resiliency came together to find ways to use our industry experience to provide a place where business continuity professionals could share their insight, seek help with their programs, and promote overall growth in our profession. On that day, the Resilience Think Tank was born. It's our one-year anniversary, and we are delighted by your support and encouraging feedback. We hope you will join our journey by becoming a part of the community. Follow Resilience Think Tank on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube as we celebrate this milestone. Also check out ResilienceThinkTank.com to discover great insights shared by our Resilience Think Tank community. Thank you for your support, and stay tuned as we continue to be an ally for risk and resilience professionals and champions for the teams of one. John Ashford, welcome to the podcast. Delighted to have you here. Uh, we got the A-list celebrities coming out here lately. Uh, so tell the listeners about yourself and a little bit about your background and about the Hawthorne Group. Well, I think when I'm introduced, the line everybody always uses for my bio, and it pleases me, once a country and western disc jockey, which was go. the best job I ever had. Uh, went on into politics in my native Missouri, ran campaigns, came to Washington, worked for a firm, and we shifted the late Matt Reese, shifted from candidate campaigns to corporate public affairs and uh, established the Hawthorne Group about 30 years ago. We've worked in all 50 states and indeed, uh, Mark, if we have a niche, it is although we are a Washington, Alexandria, Virginia based firm, our focus is very much beyond the Beltway. Uh, we do 90% of our work in state capitals and increasingly county courthouses and city halls, permitting, uh, taxes, local issues of all sorts, do a lot of work in the electric utility industry, but everything from uh, higher education to uh, uh, lotteries, uh, the, the full range. Um, it's uh, been an exciting time with all the disruptive forces in politics in the last couple of cycles. One of the things you and I have in common I didn't know about is that uh, I was also a disc jockey way back in the day, not not country music. It was uh, more adult contemporary, as we called it back then. But, And this is not why I wanted to interview, but I am going to ask you this. Talk about that and how 
unwittingly maybe that prepared you for what you're doing today because i know i'm a much better public speaker because of the time i spent as a disc jockey yeah, the first thing you learn you can't have dead air and you also learn to adapt quickly when you're not old enough to remember but i can remember when eight tracks were the new invention and you'd hit the play button and you would hear the tape eating itself in the machine and you had to cover for it and yeah. you learned very quickly to adapt uh you also learn very quickly that the people aren't listening to hear the sound of your voice they tuned in to hear the music and to get on with it and that's a perfect segue because um you are the music in today's episode so uh, let's give people a chance to, to hear more from you um so what we wanted to talk about today is the upcoming 2022 uh, midterm elections and not necessarily specifically about the elections, but the impact that those elections might have on business and specifically on business resilience. So with things like the president's approval rating, the recent Roe versus Wade decision, what are you seeing? What's trending and what are you predicting when it comes to the midterms, which are, at the time of this recording, just a few weeks away. Well, indeed, uh, early ballots have already gone out in North Carolina about a week ago. The fact that somebody would be voting today on an election November 8th without seeing what happens between now and then is appalling to me as a political professional, but that's how it works. Uh, Mark, what we're telling corporate America about these elections are really the four P's, polling, partisanship, passion, and populism. Uh, three are factors that make it very difficult for corporate America to predict the outcome. And the fourth is an enormous danger, uh, a threat to the resilience of corporate America. The, the, the factors uh, making it difficult to predict, I think polling is in an existential crisis I think it's harder than ever to get an accurate sample. I'm appalled at the pollsters that say, well, our sample didn't match the actual census or voter demographics, so we're going to reweight the results. Hmm. No, keep sampling till you have an accurate sample. Uh, I think with cell phones today, uh, people know who's calling, and the only people who answer pollsters are people who want to be polled. Now, that doesn't make them bad people, but it doesn't necessarily make them representative of the voting population. Um, I think it's, I think demographics have changed where once it was sufficient for the pollsters to predict the vote, and then it was white versus non-white, and then it was white African-American, Latin, and Asian, sometimes other demographics. Today, if you're polling in Florida, a critical state as Al Gore learned, mm -hmm. uh, you better not be looking at the Latin vote. You better be looking at the Cuban vote, the Venezuelan vote, the Puerto Rican vote. Very different. I think it's also this year harder to get people to tell the truth. Uh, there was a theory abroad in 2020 that Trump voters 
were lying because they didn't want to tell pollsters they were voting for Trump and there would be a secret surge of Trump votes on election day. Not sure that happened, but this year I'm hearing, you mentioned Roe v. Wade. Uh, as a follow-up to that, I'm hearing people say there are women, middle-aged and older, in the outer suburbs, the small towns, rural America, who will lie to their husbands and vote Democratic on election day. Now, I'm not sure that's true, but boy, if they'll lie to their husbands, they'll lie to a pollster. I just think, I think corporate America is missing crucial information it needs today to prepare for the outcome. The second thing I think corporate America in trying to assure their resilience has to face in assessing this election is the extraordinary partisanship in America today. I've read it described as hyper-partisanship, not only the bitterness between the two parties, but the bitterness within each party. Over 60, 65% of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to be the nominee next year. And the same number of Republicans don't want Donald Trump to be the nominee. I've been in politics for 50 years. Not only have I never seen that, I could never have imagined that. Sure. Uh, and there's certainly more potential successors to Donald Trump than there are to Joe Biden in their parties. But uh, again, hard for corporate America to make plans. And then I think the third thing that makes it difficult for corporate America to read these elections is the level of passion, not just the partisanship, but trying to figure out who cares about what and how much they care. Um, I found it astonishing when the abortion amendment was on the Kansas ballot last month, turnout from four years ago almost doubled. It was up 95%. Wow. But equally complexifying, if that's a word, 20% of those people, 180,000 out of 900,000, voted only on the abortion amendment, did not vote for a single candidate in either primary, which would suggest they turned out to vote on abortion, but it didn't affect their partisan voting. Uh, And of course, abortion won't be on the ballot in 45 or 46 states in November. Uh, Makes it difficult to read. Uh, And whether it's homelessness, crime, Uh, drugs, whatever the particular local issue is, will it turn out the voters and will it affect their partisan vote? I mean, I'm reading that women, particularly young women, are registering to vote in record numbers. Don't know if that's true outside the five states where abortion may be on the ballot and not sure if it will affect their partisan voting. Um, The last in my series of four Ps is the the impact, the threat to corporate resilience. And that threat is populism. Uh, And the Republican Party is no longer uh, a fail-safe counter to populism. Um, uh, Jeff Berkowitz of Dell, the uh, 
brilliant research group, had a piece of the Hill a week or so ago, and he said, there may be a red wave in December, there may be a blue wave. The wave that's going to flood corporate America is called populism and progressivism, and the Republicans can't hold it back. Indeed, they're going to try to ride that wave. That's certainly true with what Governor DeSantis did to Disney in Florida. Mm -hmm. He took a not as cruel as what he did to flying immigrants out of the state, but certainly a harsh attack on the most favored corporation in Florida. Uh, not unlike what happened to Delta Airlines in Georgia on the voting rights, uh, what the legislature did two years ago to them. Uh, as corporate America gets caught up in these issues, as they cross the line from corporate social responsibility to corporate social advocacy, uh, which they may do out of both noble intention and business necessity, they're increasing their risk and the Republicans aren't going to be there to save them anymore. I, I want to go deeper on that because I was going to ask you, well, what makes a corporation uh, a target for this a populism viewpoint, uh, and and you answered it when you said that when they cross the line from social responsibility to social advocacy. So does that put corporate America or the corporation at risk then for not doing the right thing in the hopes of not upsetting the populist view? I mean, what's what's the approach here? Well, I think it's a fine line that corporations have to learn in each generation how to walk. I mean, I think it was Huey Long who once said, a corporation is the greatest natural enemy ever given to a politician. And if you go back to the 30s and the heyday of, of Huey Long, uh, corporate America was under attack. And it's, it's certainly come back again. I think corporate America not only has a moral responsibility, but a business interest in doing the right thing. How they do it, how publicly they do it, how confrontationally they do it, uh, how uh, broadly they wave the red flag of attacking a politician or his pet ideas uh, makes all the difference in the world. I think it's very possible to quietly take not only some social socially responsible positions, but even to engage in forms of social advocacy that don't put the corporation front and center. Mm. I would argue if you look at the uh, fight around uh, the Voting Rights Act in uh, issues in Georgia, Southern Company that owned Georgia Power played it superbly. They did the right thing. They kept the support of their employees their shareholders, their customers, and they didn't get in the crosshairs of the politician. Uh, and I think uh, there's generally a way to do it. Now, sometimes you've got to take the politician on. Uh, what is the worst of both worlds is what happened to Disney in Florida. Not only did they get rolled by Governor DeSantis, I've seen polling data that would suggest Disney and their position were far more popular in Florida at that time than Governor DeSantis. They took a public stand and then rolled over and played dead. Uh, that's 
that's the worst of all possible worlds. Hmm. Now, they will live to fight again. They have too many assets in Florida not to. But uh, uh, I think corporate America and other interest groups, whether it's labor unions, consumer organizations, minority organizations, political parties, are going to have to be a little more cautious in how they undertake their advocacy. One of the things that I do in my consultancy is I work with organizations to help them prepare for days that they hope don't happen, whether it's through a cyber attack or some kind of a natural disaster that takes their operation out or whatever. And we spend some time working on crisis communication guidelines that help set them up for success when it comes to having to communicate throughout a different type of crisis. Should we be spending time now on political crisis uh, and and being prepared for whether it's uh, social advocacy, pushback, uh, being accused of being too woke, however you want to put it, uh, should that be part of the proactive crisis response planning? Well, I think it has to be. If you look at the viciousness of the attack on wokeness, and also the kinds of questions that inevitably come up, it's fine for a corporation to say, look, abortion is a matter to be settled by the courts, the legislature, and by individuals. Fine. By the way, is your health care going to pay for your employees to go out of state to get abortion? Mm. If not, aren't you effectively denying abortion to your employees that can't afford that? or creating two classes of employees, those that can afford it and those who can't. Some things that in the past could have been avoidable aren't anymore. And uh, corporations desperately need to be ready to deal with those. Um, it's interesting. You're the perfect segue, right? You you set me up perfectly with some questions here because the, the next thing I was going to ask you is, well, sometimes aren't corporations just shooting themselves in the foot by taking a stance on something that they otherwise could have remained silent about. And so I was wondering why things like abortion might become a corporate issue. And then you just pointed, pointed out the perfect example. So let me say it back to you. So let's say we have an organization that is either a global company that might be headquartered in the States or certainly at least a national company that has offices and employees located throughout the 50 states or multiple states, and they find themselves in a situation where abortion is legal for some of their employees and not for others. And that's a perfect example of you better be able to navigate your way through an issue like that when it comes to the services that you're providing, the benefits that you're providing, but also the messaging that you're giving both internally and externally. Can you expand on that? Well, I think the hardest thing to get corporations to do is not to do the right thing. Of course, like all of us, corporations look for the simple, easy answer, which doesn't exist anymore. But it is to be prepared when that issue emerges to have the communication channels in place and, you know, you and I were taught when we took speech back in high school that communication is a two-way process of both 
speaking and being heard and listening and processing. And a lot of corporate America first don't do a good job of knowing where their employees are on issues, not to mention their shareholders and their customers. But secondly, not have figured out almost the informal network of key employees and key customers that they can talk to about issues in formulating their position and in quietly getting it explained in a way that hopefully keeps it out of the more inflammatory public media. Uh, very hard to get corporate America to break out of, well, here's the news release we send to all the media, here's the letter we send to the shareholders, um, and we've identified 20,000 key customers, leaders of the community, here's what we'll send them. Yeah, but it's those five or 10 or 20 or 100 employees and their families and their touch points We've gone at extraordinary speed into a world of high technology. There is still a place for high touch. Let's jump back to the election here for a second, because a lot of times what we see in midterms is the rise of the opposition. Uh, if that was to happen this time, we could end up you know, right back with more gridlock in Washington. And that kind of shifts a lot of these battles out to the states. How does that gridlock and this state-level battle that we've been talking about, how does that impact business as far as things like infrastructure projects and things like that? Well, I think that's a classic example. You've seen uh, pipelines permitted federally and at the state and local level. Construction started, and then because of local protest, shut down at the state or local level. Um, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, Politico have all had articles in recent months about how the action has moved from K Street to Main Street and state capitals. And I think particularly difficult for a corporation with sort of one uh, corporate headquarters and workforce and executives concentrated in one state to understand how very different other states are. And Vice President Humphrey once said the easiest job he ever had in terms of demand on him was being Vice President of the United States. He said, my staff could protect me from anybody. He said, the hardest job I ever had was being mayor of Minneapolis. Huh. People could call me at home about problems with their trash, the streets, and the police. And corporate America is now under attack, but also has opportunities at those very local levels. Uh, time and again, we've seen infrastructure projects, whether it's pump storage, pipelines, transmission lines, location of uh, solar and wind facilities, have national mandates and funding, strong social acceptance, uh, approval by state regulators, and then one community says, not here, and manages to stop it. 
It, and it's just, uh, it's a good reminder that uh, disruption is sometimes easier than, you know, all of the plans and all of the details that are required to move things forward. Uh, just a couple of more questions here. One is, we're talking about midterms, impact on corporate America, but is this just an America problem or does the impact of the midterm election go beyond the U.S. borders? Well, as you know, one of the self-proclaimed great powers, anything that significantly impacts creates gridlock for America. And and by the way, to, to, to answer a question you, you sort of half raised, right now we see the Senate as too close to call, perhaps no change. Uh, Georgia, Herschel Walker, uh, Reverend Warnock will probably decide it. There certainly could be a Republican wave that carries across uh, uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Nevada, Arizona, but there could also be a Democratic wave. I think the Senate's too close to call. I still think, uh, referencing your historical uh, note, I think the House goes Republican, probably not by the 20 or 30 seats I thought a couple months ago, but by 10 or 20, decisively. It also, much to our amazement, doesn't ha happen in isolation. Uh, uh, you've had uh, major elections this year in, in France. Uh, you have a new leader of the Conservative Party chosen by co Conservative Party members in Great Britain. Uh, Sweden just turned over control to the Conservative right. Uh, Italy's facing a potential government change. Uh, and in the words of the great Graham Allison at the Kennedy School at Harvard, Putin cannot lose in the Ukraine and survive in Moscow. Uh, so it's uh, a time of horrendous risk for corporate America. Very interesting, John. Thank you for doing this. I'll get you out of here on this. People want to learn more about the Hawthorne Group or about you personally. What's the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, well, like Red Adair used to say, around the world, around the clock. Uh, contact the Hawthorne Group, www.hawthornegroup.com. Hawthorne with no E on it. The E is uh, the, the great writer Nathaniel Hawthorne. We're named for Missouri's state flower, the Hawthorne. John, thank you for doing this. A lot of good in insights and uh, uh, keep up the good work. We'll chat soon. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I want to thank John Ashford for joining me this week and talking about the upcoming midterm elections and the potential impact on the resilience of corporate America. Thanks, as always, to the Resilience Think Tank for sponsoring the Resilient Journey podcast. You can stay in touch with the Think Tank at resiliencethinktank.com. Next week, I'm joined by Lisa Jones and James Green as they tell us about their experience at DRJ Fall 2022. So join us, won't you? as we continue our resilient journey.